Blog Talk Radio. Blog Talk Radio. Cats, jump back and dust off your Cadillac. You're listening to Respect for Life with your host, Brother Leroy, on the Keys Network, Blog Talk Radio, baby. Act like you already knew. Ow! Love will be our lead. We'll march to freedom. Yeah. 
citizens of the world. This is Brother Leroy on the Keys 107 Network. You're tuned in to www.blogtalkradio.com forward slash the Keys 107 coming to you every Tuesday evening uh, mostly and there's some exceptions to the rule but coming to you every Tuesday evenings at 7 p.m. Eastern Time with a program that we consider a classroom in terms of bringing you information that you can twirl around and look at it, examine it, call in, ask questions, and when you can verify what you've heard, you pass that on to others. That means the classroom is expanded beyond those of us who are listening now. We're thankful to the Most High for blessing us with another day on this good earth, Another day to do some good deeds for ourselves, our families, for our community, and for humanity in general. With a positive mental attitude, we can begin to deal better with stress and so-called depression and come right on up and begin to tap into our God potential. The Keys 107 Network is dedicated to bringing you various hosts who in turn bring you programs that are uplifting of mind, body, and spirit tonight. We're dealing with eugenics, the elimination of black people, the attempted elimination of black people, the ongoing program on the part of some 
who desire to see less and less black people born. Now, there are blacks who buy into it because they'll say, well, it's just too many of us, and there's just too many of us doing crime, et cetera. But no one who talks about crime, when you listen to your various shows on TV, cable, or radio, whenever you hear them talk about crime, they never talk about jobs. They never talk about jobs. And at the root of a lot of crime is miseducation and no jobs. But we're dealing with Depo Provera, which for men may not have heard much about that. Women out there have heard it as a birth control drug, but it has some deadly side effect, according to the guests who we have on this evening. One is attorney Kwame Fusco, Fuso, pardon me, and the second guest in this segment is Brother Randy Short, Dr. Randy Short. We want to welcome both of them to the Keys 107 Network. God bless you, my brothers. Are you there? Yes, we are here. Bless you, my brother. Yes, yes thank Black you, Mr. Kwame Fuso. Brother, brother Kwame, we're going to start with you in terms you're an attorney, and you have been one of the outspoken voices in your area in Washington, D.C., against the use of not only Depo-Provera but other drugs that take away the life form uh, it, from the standpoint of the womb, deadening the womb, and also leading to the decrease in population of black people in in the U.S. and also in the diaspora. So share with us how you became an advocate for folks looking twice and three times at the use of various drugs and so-called birth control uh, techniques that uh, you now are a spokesperson for sound judgment on the part of women and particularly black women specifically. So share with us. The floor is yours. Thank you. Thank you very much, Brother Leroy, for inviting me to this show. Uh, my name is Kwame Fosu, and I'm the policy director for the Rebecca Project for Human Rights. And um, for the past three years, um, the Rebecca Project for Human Rights has been investigating um, Depo Povera. How this came to our attention was um, we had a program in Ghana, West Africa, and um, a program officer who was working on a research project in the Navarongo region in Ghana. The Navarongo region in Ghana is the northern part of Ghana where there, there's a lot of Muslim, uh, Muslim women. And that's the, um, the geographic area where a lot of research is being conducted unethically um, in Ghana, West Africa. So the program officer uh, came across an experiment called the Navarongo Experiment. The Navarongo experiment is, is the seminal um, reproductive health experiment similar to Tuskegee that was done for syphilis. This was done using Depo-Provera on impoverished women. Some of, many of them actually could not read or write English. They injected them with Depo-Provera for a period of, of 10 years. There's about 9,000 women altogether. 9,000 poor women in Ghana were injected with Depo-Provera in an experiment called the Navarongo experiment and never told them that they were in an experiment. What they said to them was, this is good for you. It's going to um, regulate the number of children you have. This is, this is regular treatment. But in actuality, 
they were recording your data and conducting an experiment that was conducted by the Population Council of New York. The, mm. population, count, the population Council of New York is the premier reproductive health ex, um, experiment institute that was created by Rock, the Rockefeller Foundation and the Ford Foundation. It was created by eugenicists. And um, the Rockefellers and, um, as we know, um, were, were eugenicists who believed that um, people of color were not as valuable as, um, as, white, as the white race. And so they created this population council um, whose duty, whose, whose premier duty um, starting in the 60s was to eliminate as many people of color um, as they could and went around the world um, calling it um, population control or birth control, reducing the populations of the earth. And they, they started in India, and India banned Devapovera in 2002. Reproductive rights advocates fought um, the Population Council and basically um, stopped them from using Devapovera in India. And they have yet yeah, now Africa has been targeted with, with Devapovera. They claim Africans, especially are overpopulated, which is um, a false, it's basically a false uh, notion. And they've also targeted blacks here in the United States, um, claiming that we are, over, uh, we are overpopulated, when in fact um, blacks have the lowest population rates um, in the United States. So they spread, they, they manufacture consent by, by stating that we are, we, are, we are overpopulated, and, and by so doing, they're able to use these very drastic and dangerous measures to regulate our population. Now, let me talk about Deco Povera. Hold on. Go ahead. Kwame, I want you to stop right there because i got to have you go back. The, okay. The council, what is this council called? The New York Council of, of what? It's called, it's called the Population. They, they give it a very, nice, a very nice name. It's called the Population Council of New York. The Population Council of New York. Population Council of New York. And they're located. And they're, lo they're, lo they're located in Manhattan. Right now, uh, let's go back to the experiment in Ghana yes. with the testing of Depo-Provera on Ghanaian women. What yes. is the name of that test? I didn't hear you. What was the name of the test? What was the name of the 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 project? The experiment. It's called. It was. It was. It was called. It was. Uh, it was termed the Navrongo. The Navrongo research experiment, and what they used was. And what they were really testing was was Depo-Provera and the efficacy of Depo-Provera. They wanted to see how effective Depo-Provera was in eliminating births in Africa, and so they decided to test it in the, on the poorest women, 9,000 women, um, in Africa, and and that was done in the Navrongo region, uh, in Ghana. Spell, spell the name. Navrongo is spelled N as in Nancy, A, V as in Victor, R, O, N, G, O, Navrongo. And the doctor, the doctor who conducted this experiment, his name is Dr. James Phillips, who now works for Columbia University. Dr. Yes, James Phillips. Spell his last name. Um, Dr. James Phillips' last name is spelled P H. I L L I P S. Okay. All right. Um, how long was this experiment? 
Was it much? Uh, this Was it no, so this experiment uh, was conducted over um, close to a period of 10 years. Um, it, started, it started around um, in 1992 and just went for over a period of uh, 10 years. And um, at the same time, there were experiments right here in the U.S. on black women, weren't there? Yes, um, there, there were experiments um, at the, at the, um, in, in Atlanta at the Grain Clinic um, using epipovera on, on women as well. And I think um, Brother Randy Short, um, Brother Randy Short can, um, can talk more about um, the Atlanta experiments on epipovera. Okay. Uh, uh, was there an experiment done in the area of Baltimore? Does that ring a bell? Um, I, I, did. I, I can say this to you. Um, we, we can certainly confirm whether something like that happened, but we need to understand that Johns Hopkins University, if you're familiar with Harriet Washington's medical apartheid, has always, always done all sorts of experimentation on blacks. As recently as the early 2000s, they were doing, trying to find out how did lead paint damage the brains of African-American children. So they, they, they fall within, they fall within the the framework of doing human experimentation and population control falls within their purview of activity. In fact, if you're not aware, there's a big push to try to make portions of Baltimore a, a, a bio-health area for them to just work on the population. That, that is what, what's happening currently. And I, I need to remind you that Hopkins was the place that did the stuff with Henrietta Lacks. So there's, there's been these ongoing, very unethical things that have happened through Johns Hopkins. So I wouldn't, I'm not going to rush to say no. It fits their okay. type of work. All right. The voice, ladies and gentlemen, is that of Randy Short, Dr. Randy Short. Going back to Attorney Kwame, and um, yes. after the the um, – um, the Navrongo experiment, and under so what? So yeah. So what? What happened was when we heard about the Navrongo experiment, a, a from a whistleblower, a doctor from a doctor from John Hopkins um, called me and said he worked with Dr. James Phillips on this unethical experiment. Wow. And gave me all and gave me all the information on it. Yeah, I passed the information on to Congress, and we're going to have hearings on this. So all this is going to be exposed um, very soon. Um, it, it's not going to be too long. It's going to be um, sometime this year. We're going to have hearings on this. So we passed this information on to Congress from a doctor from John Hopkins who was ethical, and refused to publish with um, with Dr. James Phillips because he said all the data that was used in the Navarro experiment was fraudulent. Basically, yeah, basically what, what Dr. James Phillips did was not only did he not give women informed consent forms, which are required by the IRB, which are institutional review boards for research, for human, for human research, he refused to give them um, informed consent forms to sign, but he also basically fabricated all the data that he used in the experiment so he could come out with results that were favorable to what his goals were which was to use decalpovera in, in large amounts in, um, 
in, in Africa. So now the Nabrongo experiment, what's, what's really disturbing about this is the Nabrongo experiment now has become part of U.S. policy. So here we have a fraudulent experiment that abused women unethically and now it's being used as policy to spread Epipovera around Africa, and that's what we cannot have. We have to stop this because this is fraud that is going to kill millions of women. Okay, and, and how is this how is this experiment the foundation of the population elimination efforts that you just mentioned? How is okay. that? Well, so what, yes. So, so, so what happened during this experiment? Um, um, Dr. James Phillips concluded that Depo-Povera was a very effective drug, and and the women of Navarongo loved it. They used it ninety ninety percent more than other than other forms of contraceptive. Therefore, 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 he concluded that this was not only an effective contraceptive to stop to stop birth, but also it is a preferred contraceptive that women have chosen on their own, which was in fact false. This this contraceptive was coerced. Women were coerced to take this contraceptive. They didn't choose to take this contraceptive because none of the women who were injected with Depo-Provera knew the deadly side effects of Depo-Provera. And the deadly side effects. The deadly side effects were one. It doubles the risk of HIV AIDS. When you take the shot, it doubles your risk of HIV AIDS. Two, it doubles the risk of cancer. It, it significantly increases your risk for heart attacks, for stroke, for blood clots, and the most important, the, and one of the most important ones is, it decimates your bone density. Um, so you, so most women will get osteoporosis um, by the time they're they're 40, 45 years old. It's quite a dangerous contraceptive, and also the FDA has mandated in a black box warning not to use this drug for more than two years. And all these warnings, all these dangerous warnings, are never given to women when they take the shot here in Harlem, in Washington, D.C., in any, in any urban area in the United States where there are black folk and women of color and girls of color. None of them are ever told of the, of the dangers and all the side effects of Depo-Provera before, giving, before they give them the shot. And that's the problem. That's a serious problem because we have lots of women who are getting breast cancer now, who are getting heart attacks, strokes, who are, who, are, who are getting more HIV and AIDS because they're using this drug and they don't even know it. And that's something that, that, that has to be exposed. This is amazing. Now, the organization that you belong to, once again, is Rebecca West. It's called the Rebecca Project, the Rebecca Project for Human Rights. Um, that's www.rebeccaprojectforhumanrights.com. And my executive director is called Imani Walker. She's our executive director, and I work very closely with her on this issue. And her first name is Spell. Her um, first name. Her first name oh is Spell. Imani. I. M. As in Mary. A. N. As in Nancy. I. Imani. Last name is Walker. W. A. L. K. E. R. Imani Walker. Rebecca Project for human rights, ladies and yes. gentlemen. On the line is Tony Kwame, and he's given us an overview of the use of Depo-Provera as it relates to the Ghanaian people, but what uh, what stands out is that 
the experiment was for some 10 years, and at the same time, the warning, the black box warning, as it relates to side effects, is that it shouldn't be taken in more than two or three years. Is that correct? No, two years. Two years flat. You're not supposed to take it for more than two years um, because the, um, your loss of bone, bone density is irreversible. It's irreversible um, bone loss. It's irreversible. Irreversible, yes. And also, we are fighting for women here. The, the experiment happened in Ghana. What happened was, after Tuskegee, they outsourced all human experimentation to Africa. That's why our report is called the outsourcing of Tuskegee. So what John Hopkins did, what the Population Council did, what all researchers in the United States did was, hey, we can no longer conduct unethical experiments here. We're going to get arrested. People are going to scream. Al Sharpton is going to scream. So what they decided to do is they said, okay, let's look for places where there are corrupt leaders, where we can buy doctors off, and they went over to Africa. They went over to, to South Asia, to India, to different places where there's poverty, basically paid doctors off for populations of people to experiment on them. So, out, so Tuskegee was outsourced to Africa, and that's why we call our, our report the outsourcing of Tuskegee. Okay, and this report we can find on the website of Rebecca Project for Human yes, Rights. And, and if, 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 you go, if you go on Google and you type in outsourcing of Tuskegee, it'll pop up. The outsourcing oh, of Tuskegee, yes. Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the Keys 107 Network. The program is The Communicators Respectful Life. I'm Brother Leroy. Our guest online is Dr. Randy Scott. Short, rather, I'm sorry. Randy Short, who you just who you'll be hearing in a moment. We have some announcements coming up. Our advertisers must be served in between our class positions. And uh, the first voice that you heard this evening is Attorney Kwame. And he, of course, is with the Rebecca Project for Human Rights. You go to their website, you check out the information. You go to Google and you put in outsourcing of Tuskegee. And yeah. that is information that you should pass on to others who are concerned with human rights. doesn't matter whether you're black, white, whatever gender you are, it doesn't matter. Yeah. What you need to know is that many of these experiments, if not all of them, they're first done against people who don't know, and then they're rolled out into the general population, the so-called Caucasian population. So we have to count at everybody. But we're going to be back in uh, one and a half minutes after these announcements. Thank you very much for your support of the Keys 107 Network. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Of course, you will have the opportunity to ask questions. Stay tuned. Rafika Consultants and Services, LLC, is on the cutting edge of emerging technologies for designing online classes and providing face-to-face -face and virtual technology training or help with computer programs, web design, and graphic arts. We also provide biography writing services for websites. For more information, give us a call at 631-399-0149. That's 631-399-0149. The Fluffs present the alphabet. Now found in paperback. Sporting a five-star rating on Amazon.com. Boom, 107. 
fashions and gifts that bring out the best in you. Moon 107 is an online retail store featuring women's and men's clothing and the gift shop. The woman's shop features stylish tunics, suits, and accessories and offers the well-dressed woman an outlet to find the perfect gift for self or for someone else. The men's shop offers classy French cuff shirts for the well-dressed man. The gift shop offers organic skin, hair, bath accessories, and inspirational music imported from Africa, India, and Asia, as well as jewelry and accessories. Moon 107, fashions and gifts that bring out the best in you. Don't forget to visit moon107.com. Log Talk Radio. Ah, cats. Jump back and dust off your Cadillac. You're listening to Respect for Life with your host, Brother Leroy, on the Keys Network. Blog Talk Radio, baby. Act like you already knew. Ow! And we're back, ladies and gentlemen. That's Brother Jason with that great introduction. I want to thank you all for listening and definitely plan into your head the fact that we must pass on the information you receive here. The information is available to everybody, but everybody is not reading, they're not looking. And therefore, you have to pull someone's coat. They may wind up saying, I don't care. But at least you were in a position where you told them, passed on to them information that you got. Dr. Randy Short, please share with us your involvement in the the anti-eugenics movement. And for our audience who don't know, not familiar with that term, eugenics, who've been told only that, hey, it played that up in terms of eugenics. Exactly who is the the mother of eugenics and how is it continued today? Well, eugenics in its original term uh, it has a father, uh, <laughs> an abusive father by the name of Francis Galton, who is a cousin to um, Charles Darwin. Uh, all of them are racist. In fact, eugenics emerges once people could no longer hold black people outright, African people outright as slaves, they began to look for reasons to justify getting rid of them. You know that you means uh, perfect, like utopia, and you, gen, perfect people. So eugenics is to make the perfect people are the perfect race. Mm, and Francis Galton's family made their money off of the enslavement of African people in the Caribbean. And we also need to remember, since you're a God-fearing man and so am I, our ancestors like Frederick Douglass and Nat Turner and Harriet Tubman and Sojourner Truth and, and William McNeil Henry Turner were so effective in defeating the anti-black and pro-slavery thought in Christianity until white folks had to step outside of religion and go into science. 
and create their own new mythology to justify our people being wiped out, destroyed, or kept subordinate. Because if you read into Genesis 1, all civilization comes from the original man, the African man and woman. Beautiful. Well said. So from Francis Dalton, the theory and practice and the sharpening of the focus of eugenics passes on to whom? Uh, Margaret Sanger, or I call her Maggie Coathanger. She's the woman who uh, started the American Birth Control League. She wrote several books. Uh, One she has called Black People, Human Weeds. In her book, Woman and the New Race, she pointed out that black women shouldn't be allowed to have children. Margaret Singer was an inspiration to the Nazi Party of Germany. In fact, Adolf Hitler was a great fan of hers, as were many of the other eugenicists. Uh, Margaret Sanger's work helped lead to the mass sterilization of tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of people in, in the United States, among whom was Fannie Lou Hamer, was a victim of sterilization. Wow. And, of course, you had Elaine Riddick, my cousin. She's a victim of sterilization. So uh, you had that, and then she had the Negro Project that emerged in the late 1930s where she got with the NAACP and other groups to figure out how to wipe out uh, bad black people, in particular using uh, Negro preachers. I wanted to say the other N-word, but I, I'm being good. She also would tour the country uh, promising uh, Ku Klux Klansmen that she could kill far more blacks than they could if they would only allow her to have birth control centers. So you'll find that the South led the way in birth control centers. How do you like them apples? Mm. North Carolina, South Carolina. In mm. fact, uh, it wasn't just her. There are other people like the Carnegie Endowment. The book, The American Dilemma, by Neerdahl that had a whole bunch of so-called black scholars writing in Chapter 7, he points out that we need to find a way to wipe black people out slowly. Do it so you don't upset them. We don't want to be violent. And it's happening right now. So we can just go through phases. We can go from Sanger, and she worked with the eugenicists, had her birth control review, had all kinds of people in the Ku Klux Klan and Nazis write and put stuff in that. Ultimately, they changed their name to Planned Parenthood. Uh, Bill Gates of uh, Microsoft, who's over in Africa with his crazy wife, who she, she looks like uh, Jack Frost from the Rankin Bass shows we used to see. Remember the little ugly puppet? And she's real. Uh, you had them in the Planned Parenthood, and they've slowly built up. And once you got Roe v. Wade, there's been a killing frenzy in our community for 40 years. As many as 20 million of our babies have been killed. Hmm. If you consider that the census, which I don't believe in, says there are about 40-some-odd million black people, every time you count one, two, three, imagine one of those people dropping dead. This is what they've done to us. And Deborah Rivera, if I can say that they brought in these drugs... By the way, the birth control pill was used in experimentation on 
black women in the United States and Puerto Rico. They messed up those women. And they've been doing these experiments on black women since the 1940s. Mm. How, how did, how, what's the relationship of Roe versus Wade and the, the success of the eugenics movement? Well, I mean, Roe versus Wade is like the chocolate sprinkles, the, the cherry, the cream, because at one point you had resistance to this people understanding they may have wanted to look out for the health of the mother, but you didn't have it where it was lawful. And once it became lawful, it became profit-driven. Abortion is a multi-billion-dollar business. Hmm. And, and not only, but that's not that's the small side of it. The pharmaceuticals for people who are not going to go that far, the birth control pill, the shields, all these other things that have come in that that became popular because people let the, uh, the <laughs> open up the gate. Then it all works together. If you have people teaching uh, sex education without morality, where it's separated, that's what happened to me in school. They just taught people how to have sex. They didn't talk about pregnancy. They didn't talk about venereal disease. If you go in and teach people that, then they may go out and have the babies. Or if they get active, they're going to need the pills. They're going to need the Depo-Provera or whatever. They're going to take something to avoid getting pregnant if they get that much education about it. So you have this as a fail-safe where Planned Parenthood offers through Roe uh, the termination of pregnancy becomes a form of birth control, along with all the other drugs. So there's so many things. But what what it ultimately did, in particular for Planned Parenthood, it allowed it to access money from the government, states, and foundations because what used to be done in alleys and in dark places now can be as respectable as McDonald's another institution of mass death. Ladies and gentlemen, you have the opportunity to call in 213-943-3618, 213-943-3618. Put a question to these two gentlemen, two brothers, 213-943-3618. Hit one on your telephone keypad, and that lets our engineer know that you have a question to contribute to this classroom session here, dealing with Depo-Provera, but in the broad sense, eugenics, the elimination of black population and the superimposing on others, the, uh, well, they, they hope, the magnifying of the population of those who are members of the group advocating the decrease of population of black people. Telephone number 213-943-3618. When you look at Planned Parenthood, which has a benevolent name, just like the New York, uh, the um, Population Council of New York in the various tests and experiments that they have, they come with you with a smiling face. I notice that Planned Parenthood tends to have had black women at the head of it for uh, quite a few terms. Uh, Have you Mm -hmm. ever tracked that? 
Well, the one that I remember best is Faye Waddleton, and there's a quote that one of my friends, and I'm going to paraphrase it, I heard it in the Rayburn building a few months ago, and she said that there were just too many black babies and we need to get rid of a lot of them. Mm. So you, you get, we have an issue of self-hating, and I use the term black necks, black people who are elitist, who hate the rest of us. They don't care how we go. Adepo Povera seems to be the thing of choice now because it not only can mess a woman's health up, it can sterilize her the same way. I was speaking to a friend of mine's cousin in Detroit. Her mother was on Adepo Povera in the 60s, and they didn't even tell her what they were injecting her with. She went on it, and she's 56. Uh, Adepo Povera has destroyed the spinal column in her back, and she's sterile. So there are no further generations coming out of that family. That is what they want. And I need to say wow. something to you, brother. The Honorable, the Honorable Elijah Muhammad was one of the greatest visionary men who challenged this fraud a long time ago. And people have vilified that man and talked bad about that man. And everything that he has said has come true. I wish there were some leaders out there with half the vision, half the spirituality, of the Honorable Elijah Muhammad to stand up and speak against Depo Pavera, to speak against all these other things that are unsafe for people and to, to challenge our leaders, our, our religious uh, folks, say enough is enough. Here we stand. We will not vanish from the face of this earth. They, uh, there's been a court decision recently allowing... Uh, young girls without notification to their mother, their parents, and without a prescription to get the morning after pill. What you? Hello. Can you hear me, Randy? I can hear you now. You asked me about the morning after pill. I would advise everyone who has the opportunity to go to myafa21.com because you'll find that the morning after pill, uh, myafa spelled M-A-A-F-A, the number two, the number one, dot O-R-G, myafa21.org. And if they want, they can contact you. I'll come up and show it at their church or school. My Alpha 21 documents that the same people who made Zyklon B to kill the Jews in Europe in the 1940s created RU-486. Mm. Wow. Wow. What's the, uh, the effects of this morning after pill? I've heard various things. I, I don't want to dwell, but I've heard that some folks die from taking it. Some people have gotten very sick from taking it. And so I, I would say that typically, yes, yeah, and, and it's not safe for children at all. So uh, you, 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 you have to understand that there's even a newer one that they have that uh, does, and there's something called eShore permanently sterilizes women that's being pushed. But, but you know, the main one that's being driven, black women are using 
of the death pool per there in this country. Black women are only 15% of the women mm-hmm. in this country. There's mm-hmm. no way that this is not pure, plain and simple genocide against our women, and we must stop it. Mm. See, if we can go after Depo Provera, the whole house of cards of genocide will come crashing down, which is why I have to say this. There are people trying to destroy Brother Kwame Fosu as I speak to you. Powerful people want to take this man's life because he's brought this information out. They understand that Depo Provera is the foundation stone of black genocide in the world. And mm. so we must, that's why I keep coming back to Depo Provera. I will talk about other things at another point, but we can bring the house down with just this genocidal drug alone. It has no business being injected into our women or any women anywhere throughout all human time. That's it. Wow, ladies and gentlemen, and this is just one of the drugs. I mentioned the morning after drug, and then there's Gardasil. And uh, its effect on women. Telephone number two one three nine four three three six one. And and can I interject, Brother Leroy, that some of our civil rights, so-called civil rights groups, have always been in partnership with Margaret Sanger and those that have come after her. The NAACP first and foremost the uh, NAACP Legal Defense and Education Fund, as well as the Leadership Council on Civil Rights are all together in wiping out our black women. We must oppose these organizations. We can no longer let them rest on past reputation. They must put up or shut up and end the genocide of our women and girls. Well, how how is it manifested in terms of the organizations that you mentioned? Oh, I would love to... I would, I, would, I would happily tell you, I can tell you right now, that the Brooklyn chapter president of the NAACP, Karen Boykins Town, she's the wife of the commissioner for housing that abused the people in New York after Hurricane Sandy. She is responsible for global marketing for Pfizer, and their main drug, in particular in Africa, is Depo-Provera. She's also on the executive board of the NAACP. Pfizer gives money to all of our black organizations. When I talk about Gardasil, which is made by Merck, uh, yeah, Congressman Towns is also the father-in-law of this woman, Karen Boykins Town. Y'all need to call him and tell him he needs to resign and repent. Merck gave $2.5 million to the Legal Defense and Education Fund. They're the people that make Gardasil. See, I'm right here in Congress. I'm in the Cannon Office building talking to you right now. These people come and give money to these so-called black leaders, and these people come here and they turn their backs and stab our people in the back for cash. They're doing great. They know not to take these drugs. They come and grin and sit up in places of honor among our people, but they're taking bribes the same way the slave traders did back on the coast of Africa. We must stop these black necks. Uh, I can say the same thing. The Leadership Council on Civil Rights, led by this brother who looks like a reptile named uh, Wade Henderson, all of them are in partnership with Planned Parenthood. They're in partnership with these pharmaceuticals, and even Planned Parenthood, the same people who made their money off of slavery, are all investing in Planned Parenthood. They get money from the same white elitists who made their money selling people from Africa here. 
It's the same people who held us in slavery. They're the same ones who killed 200 million of us, and they want to, in honor of that, inject 200 million of our women with Depo-Provera. We must stop it. New York can stop it. You need to march on Karen Boykin's uh, Brooklyn NAACP headquarters. And, and Hazel Dukes, who's the New York chapter president of the NAACP, she's in on it too. They all, uh, AXO, which is funded by Pfizer in many states, that's a little elite thing for the snooty folks in the NAACP, whatever Bush kids get to go or Jack and Jill, they fund just a certain group of black folks and use them on the rest of us. And you see, I can't enjoy a steak or lobster that Karen Boykin's town and her uh, DUI husband are eating. We have to all share the resources. Brother Kwame wants to speak. Okay. I just, I just want to, I just want to add to this. Um, this is Kwame Fosu. I just want to add to this. Um, with what Brother Randy was saying, um, Pfizer gives all these organizations money, and they keep silent. We're the only minority group in this world that sells its people for money. There are a lot there are a lot of Jewish um, groups and organizations that take money from Pfizer. They take money from, from Merck. They take money from everyone. But they honor, respect, and value their lives as sacred. Jewish people will never and I and I, I know some people might might you know might might have, you know, um, take issue with it, but they never sell themselves for money. They believe your lives are sacred. And you will not find pe- a woman like Karen Boykin Town selling, a Jewish woman selling this type of drug to her community. They will not do it. Mm. They just will not do it. And there's nothing wrong if the NAACP takes Pfizer's money. But speak the truth to Pfizer. Tell them this drug is dangerous for our community. You know, there's nothing wrong with the leadership council taking money from Merck. There's nothing wrong with, with Karen Boykin Town taking money from, you know, from Pfizer. But when you're in the boardroom, Tell the, the president, tell the marketing managers that this drug is dangerous and we have to give black women informed consent about the dangers that this drug causes breast cancer, that this drug um, causes heart attack, that this drug increases your risk of HIV. And that is why on, um, on, January, on January 28, 2013 of this year, the Israeli government ordered all the doctors to stop prescribing ethical barrier to African women. That was an order, an executive order, given by the Israeli government because they care about their people. And it's about time black people here cared about their people. And it's okay to take money, but do not sell the soul of black people to Pfizer. Do not sell the souls of black people to Merck. Have some sacredness and some dignity for ourselves. And that's the message I want to send out to our black leadership. Thank you. And, and Brother Leroy, you asked a question. I need to mention that the chief medical officer for Pfizer is a black woman who lives in New York named Frida Lewis Hall, making an excess of $4.5 million a year, helping to kill her sisters. There's no price on black women. Wait, 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 for wait, wait, wait. Randy, see, sir, that statement can't be made because that that's that's a statement that's just out there. If, if a person is in a company in a company and they're directly involved in the implementation of a project, that has to be made statement. But to say that helping to kill her sisters, anybody will take exception to that 
And that can't be said, whether it's on brick-and-mortar radio or whether it's on the show here. You've got to be very precise. In I'm going to be precise and say to you that uh, there are court cases that I would happily send you the reports where they say that the corporate board has systematically lied, rebranded, and done everything that they could and have ignored everything, repeated warnings. They've been fined $6 billion by the Department of Justice for refusing to be honest each time they've asked, and they said that the entire board is guilty. Therefore, by extension, she's one of the culprits. Okay, and you're guilty of lying regarding what? Okay. Uh, Go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. Hello, hi, this, this, is, this is Kwame Fosu. And um, in, in human rights law, we, we do a lot of research um, to find out about precedent. So the Department of Justice, the, the Department of Justice, a, an attorney named Tony West. Tony West is the Deputy Attorney General at the Department of Justice. And he has effectively prosecuted Pfizer for rebranding a number of drugs. Rebranding means um, what, what happens is they, they change they change um, they change the drug in a way to make it safer than it really is. So with Viagra and many other drugs, many yeah, other psychotropic drugs, with, and many other psych, psych, psychotropic drugs, what Pfizer and many and many other pharmaceutical companies do is they, they market the drug in, as a much safer drug than it really is. So the Department of Justice comes in and basically takes and prosecutes them for false marketing, um, for concealing harm, for minimizing harm, and filing false claims. Filing a false claims means that you're, you're selling a drug, making a false claim, and earning, and earning income from that. So Depo-Provera is in the same pool of a, of a drug that has been rebranded. Depo-Provera basically, when you hear about the marketing of Depo-Provera, they, they conceal all the harm of Depo-Provera, or they minimize the harm, and also they make claims about Depo-Provera that are not approved by the FDA. One of the claims they make about Depo-Provera, if you go to Planned Parenthood's website under, under the shot, is that Depo-Provera um, helps, um, helps cure uterine cancer. That is a false claim that they make on their, on their site. However, the Department of Justice has never prosecuted um, Pfizer for this making false claims about Depo-Provera. So, um, so the, the director, the director, the medical director of Pfizer is not killing people directly, but she is part of this collusion to rebrand this drug as a safe drug, and therefore, when women take this drug, they have early onset of diseases like breast cancer, early onset of diseases like osteoporosis, early onset of diseases like heart cardiovascular disease, and also it makes them more susceptible to HIV, twice as, twice as likely to get HIV because the Nepoparera progesterone is very powerful and it breaks down the walls of, it breaks down the vaginal walls and makes you more susceptible to many diseases. But what is happening in our community is that women are ashamed. They're ashamed to come forward and say, I use Nepoparera because, you know, it, it's, hard, it's hard to feel like, my God, I went, I went to Planned Parenthood, I went to a clinic, and I, and, and I actually took this drug. They're ashamed. There is some shame that they carry, so they do not talk about it. And some women defend it because doctors have made them believe that this is the best drug for them, and they do not want to accept that they made a mistake. Uh, so, so Kwame, 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 I need you to go back 
and um, because I'm getting a reverb on on your phone for some reason. We can reason. go in that room now. We can go. In but I okay. need you. I need you to go back in in terms of the is uh, something that you just said. Uh, oh, yes. They they go from one source to another. The recommendation is for depot prevention. I'm sorry. For a birth control drug, and that's what I understood you're saying, but they're not told about the depo vivero, or they wind up. I, I I just couldn't hear that clearly. Okay, um, I, I I'm sorry, I I lost you. You you, you said I. What, I didn't hear what you said. You're speaking um, so loud as a reverb. I'm getting a reverb on your phone for some reason or another. I'm not getting that on Randy's phone. Randy is. Okay, yeah, I'm, I'm on Randy's phone. I'm on Randy's phone now. Uh, I'm still getting an echo, but but what you had said in terms of I think you said the young the the, the black woman goes to different sources of birth control, pop, uh, um, Planned Parenthood or this place or that place, and she winds up with Depo-Provera and is without knowledge of what it really does. Oh, okay. Yeah, so what I was saying is that um, what happens is um, women women take Depo-Provera, they go to Planned Parenthood, they go to different clinics, and what happens is that they, they sell them this drug. They, sell, they say, hey, this drug is easy breezy. You know, in three months, you don't have, you don't have to take a contraceptive. Right. It's very right. good for your lifestyle. You don't have to have sex with taking condoms, so on and so forth, you know. Um, it's a safe drug. You know, all, you're going to feel a little uncomfortable. You might gain a little weight, and that's all they tell them. They never tell them the FDA warning that this is going to decimate your bone density. They never wow. tell them it's going to double your risk of breast cancer. They never tell them that it's going to double your risk of HIV-AIDS because the progesterone, when you take, it, when you take it, any drug, that gives you such a powerful shot of progesterone, it breaks down your body cells. It breaks down the walls of the vagina, and it makes you more susceptible to every STD out in the world. And what happens is AIDS is the most deadly. With gonorrhea, syphilis, any other STD, you can actually cure it. But with AIDS, it's a whole different ballgame. So in, in, in populations that have a high HIV risk, especially African-American populations and African populations, this drug should not be used in our population. We should be proactive and comprehensive about our health care. And, and health and the director of health at Pfizer knows this. She knows this. She's a black woman, she's educated, and she knows this. And okay. so, yes. No, I got it. Now, okay. as we conclude, I need um, a statement from you and a statement from Dr. Randy Short uh, as it relates to recommendations to the audience, recommendations to the fathers, to women out in the audience, uh, you can take whatever recommendation you want and share that with us within a minute and a half. Okay. Um, thank you very much again, Brother Leroy, for having me on the show. Uh, my name is Kwame Fosu with the Rebecca Project. My rough recommendations to women, um, to all women of color who have used Epipovera, is not to be ashamed uh, to go back to your clinics and, when, and go back and, and ask them, what are the side effects of this drug? And if they tell you that the drug is safe, there are no side effects, tell them to show you the label. And on that label, 
you're going to see the FDA warnings for the first time. It is required and mandated by law. When that happens, you have a right to sue Pfizer immediately. Many white women in America have done exactly that, and they sued Pfizer for millions of dollars. Countries have sued Pfizer for millions of dollars regarding Depo-Provera, and they pulled it out of their countries. But black women are not suing Pfizer. Black women have to sue Pfizer. When you go on the website and you type in Depo-Provera plus lawsuit, there are many, many lawyers where they specialize in suing Pfizer for this type of harm and lying about this drug. So go in there, type in um, um, lawsuit Pfizer, and check if, if um, they did not tell you about any of the warnings, which I'm sure many women, um, this happens to many, mm-hmm. many women, you have to follow up with the lawsuit and change your contraceptives immediately. Do not use Depo-Provera. It's going to kill you. It's going to harm you but in about 10 years. Because what happens is that breast cancer and all the other diseases takes about five to ten years to appear in your body. So please get off Depo-Provera, switch your contraceptives immediately. It's a dangerous contraceptive. Do not use it. Dr. Ray, Ray, uh, I'm going to suggest, I, and thank you again for having Kwame and I, I want to say to everyone that is listening that every single solitary man should tell his girlfriend or wife or female friends, whatever, not to use it. Uh, They should immediately begin to look, aside from doing what Kwame said, immediately tell everyone they know that Depo-Provera is a killer and they must stop using it. That's one. Number two, they must go to their church, to their masjid, to their schools. They need to pull the information off the Internet. They can email uh, Kwame. Uh, or myself, I mean, they can email me, wrandyshort at gmail. I will happily send them some of the information that we have to back up everything we're saying. That's one, wrandyshort at gmail. Then two, or three, should I say, you need to contact every uh, person that you know in politics and tell them that it needs to be legalized in the state, in the city of New York and the state of New York. Four, people need to go after, in particular, they need to tell uh, Karen Boykin's town and the uh, New York and AACP that they must stop supporting this drug. Uh, and third, uh, or should I say fifth, people need to recognize that Pfizer has, and, and there are black people all over the country who are in positions of power that are against um, other black people receiving payment. For example, there are preachers like uh, Reverend William H. Gray III, who was head of the United Negro College Fund, who is now on the board of Pfizer. People need to find out who these people are and look them up to verify. Don't believe us. You will find that these people, they are being paid. Last but not least, we need to, as a people, reevaluate what sex means. It is not for fun. It really has something to do with love and family, and we need to rediscover that because there are no shortcuts. And, And they will sell us poison tricking us into thinking there's a shortcut, and it ultimately leads to our deaths. And again, I will repeat what Palmy said. If you have a breast cancer, if you have sir, any of these things and you've used Depo-Provera, sue, sue, sue. Contact us. We have to have a class action suit, and we want reparations for all of our sisters and their children. If they're people who've lost a mother or a grandmother, we must stop them. And last but not least, when you write me, I'm in a, a group that I formed called the Dignity of Women's Health Coalition. Please join me. We need to put this information all over 
screen Myatha 21 at your church or your school or watch it on your computer or on your, your iPhone or your iPad. Be aware. Wake up. It's a war for our survival. God bless everybody. And God bless you, me, Dr. Randy Short, and Attorney Kwame. Thank you both for sharing your time, your knowledge, your guidance. And we look forward to having both of you back on some of our shows in the very near future. For our audience, stay tuned. Our next guest dealing with a technique for teaching math to black youngsters that will be fun and accelerate their learning process. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. How is it? The key. Unlocking the doors to unlimited possibilities. The Keys is proud to announce The Communicators Airing Saturdays at 7 p.m. Your host, Brother Leroy, broadcasting from the heart of Harlem, USA. Give up the fight now. 
Keys 107 Network. I'm Brother Leroy. Program is a communicator's response for life. And we thank all of you for your support, for listening to the show and passing on the information you receive. We're going to be speaking with a brother who has a tremendous math background, also architectural, and he knows a lot of a lot about math and the utilization of math in everyday life. And he is a proponent, a champion of using the abacus to teach young children. And the abacus is used primarily in Asian communities, Japanese, Chinese, Korean communities. They work out with the abacus. You go in a Korean store, Chinese store, Japanese store, and you think that they'll go to a computer to figure out They'll go to the abacus, they slide the beads over, slide them under, slide them over, slide them over, and come up with the total of your purchase, and it'll be right and exact. Now, supposing we taught that to black children, would that make a difference? Would that be fun? Would that enable them to uh, get on the road to understanding algebra, trigonometry, physics? We're going to find out from Brother Bernard, who's on the line right now, and we're thankful that we know this brother because he contributes his knowledge to a tutoring program in Harlem. It takes place every Saturday morning at the Colonel Young Vet Center on 132nd Street between Frederick Douglass Boulevard and Adam Clayton Powell Boulevard, across from St. Aloysius Church. You go through that block and you'll see a building on the south side of the street a lot of flags. Well, that's the Colonel Young Vet Center. Without further ado, we're very happy to welcome to the Keys 107 Network, Brother Bernard. God bless you. As-salamu alaykum. Alaykum my brother. I want to thank you for joining us, and uh, just give us a background for your interests, for your introduction, for your own self, to the abacus. When did that come into your life, and what difference did it make for you? Well, the abacus came in my life, say, back in 1975, when I was at a bookstore in uh, on the west side of Manhattan, and it was a Japanese bookstore. 
sort of wandered in there and wanted to see what Japanese literature is all about. So I was there, and all of a sudden ran across this book on the abacus, which was in English. The majority of the books in the store were all Japanese. So there I would have to have a good knowledge of the language. Unfortunately, I met one of the um, store owners there, and I asked the question about the abacus book, and he says, well, this is the only book we have that's translated into English. All the other books that you see in the bookstore are all in the Japanese language. Fortunately, I had only a little training in Japanese language in uh, college, and I was able just to get through understanding the katakana hiragana method of uh, Japanese. The characters were a little more complicated. But yet, when I read the book, and I asked a couple of questions to the store owner, and he says, are you interested in this instrument? I said, yes. So the day came. Next day, he closed the store down, and we went to the back, and he sat down, and he explained to me how the abacus works. And from there on, I just followed the exercises. started with addition, went into subtraction, division, and multiplication. And for a week, I was able to master the entire instrument. Then he went into the history that the instrument was really is a Chinese origin, which was brought into Japan right after the uh, Edo uh, Empire in Japan, because Japan went through many stages of dynasties. And when that was brought there, they in turn sent their scholars to China to learn how to use the abacus in accounting. From mm -hmm. there on, Japan and China and many other countries within the Pacific started using the abacus as a means of not only teaching math, but keeping accounting like you would run a business. So from there on, that in turn was an inspiration of learning more math. So when I learned it and I said, wow, this is great, put the book back, all of a sudden within 10 years it comes back to me. And that's when I ran into you, Brother Leroy, up at uh, Abyssinian Baptist Church because you had a tutoring program up there. So I said, oh, let me get up there and help the brother out. And I went up there and we, uh, tackled the students with the uh, algebra, basic math, fractions. So one day, my daughter asked me about accounting machine. And I said, what do you, she says, I want to know something about how I can count. She's very young. So I said, okay, I'll build you a beadboard, but it will not be a typical European beadboard would be a Japanese and a Chinese beadboard. So I built two of them for her. And explained to her how it works. And she was able to, 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 to go ahead and just do all the math that she wanted to do. So from there on, I said, let me bring this up to the class. Show Brother Leroy and the students. So I brought them up there as a demonstration. From there on, I said, wow, the students will really take a hold of this. Because this is what's being taught in Japan. And that's the reason why um, math taught in America is only to the point of only teaching you so much not to think, but just to follow. Mm. But there, the abacus has you thinking because now it's the numbers in your fingers. And there was a time where black children used to count with their fingers. 
but for some reason the school system says, no, don't do that, that's wrong, and all of a sudden that entire method of addition was sort of rubbed out. But sooner or later it will come back because there, as you learn the abacus, maybe a Chinese abacus, which is a total of 15 beads, two beads on the top of the bar, and five beads on the bottom of the bar, that's the Chinese abacus. Japanese abacus is unique. It has nine, total of nine beads. So there you have one bead at the top, which is the five, and the bottom beads are four. So you bring them together and you get nine. So there the abacus can go from five rows up to 27 rows. And there you're able to break it down according to the four decimal places that will be used in the English language or whatever. Because math is universal. No matter what language you speak, Chinese, Japanese, Arabic, French, as long as you write the numbers up there, a person from anywhere can read those numbers and able to do the math. You might teach math in Spanish, but yet I can still add and multiply in English mm. because the equations are there. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, the abacus has been, you might say, the primer in elementary school to young students over there in the East because there they're able to learn how to count, how to memorize their tables, as well as going into the next level. Now there in the second grade, third grade, and the fourth grade, those three grades right there, the students are learning the abacus. They practice for about an hour. The teacher demonstrates. Then they're able to take on problems that you would see in an ordinary arithmetic book. But now, this has been going on for, God, over 100 years. Meanwhile, here in the West, the abacus was never brought into America until the Chinese came here in the West to build the railroad. That's when that instrument was brought. And when the Westerners saw this, they still couldn't understand. How does this Chinaman is able to add up these numbers faster than a person can even think? So there, there's a mental, psychological table being developed in your mind of numbers. Now, being that black folks invented the uh, number system that you use today, now they just call it a lotto. But years ago, black folks were brilliant mathematicians and putting together a number system. You have a Brooklyn number, a Manhattan number, and a Bronx number. But for some reason, that entire system was being exploited. And then that's when you have the uh, lotto coming in. But going back to basic, the young children learning the math today, because I'm now trying to implement this program now as a pilot program with a couple of young people at the Colonel Young as well as the uh, 135th Street uh, uh, Kennedy Center, in teaching them how to add and multiply, but in a sense carrying it into the brain. And once you've learned the methods, then you reach the point where, do I really need a pencil and paper? Yes, only to write the answer. Hmm. But now you're able to go faster as you practice. As anything else, it takes time, it takes patience. Parents also will be participating in this. 
And for about a year, that child will go through the math so fast that he or she, when he sees those problems, he'll automatically add them up. Hmm. Now, to this day, I've had two students. They're doing very, very well. Parents are very happy. One young man did so well with the um, abacus and learning how to add and subtract that he was able to win a chess tournament. And I said, well, how did you do that? And he said he just learned the moves from the abacus. He was able to compute Hmm. the chessboard to come in first place and second place on the chess Hmm. tournament. Wow. And I said, well, between that... Plus, he goes to a mon- not, not a monastery school, but a uh, school with a, a system that's being taught in Korea. And he's the only student in the class that has gotten high marks. Mm. Now, I don't know what, all I know is he practices at the abacus. His father's there to help him, his mother. So I teach him, I tutor him on Sundays. And they were able to um, go along, and they even are learning. Now the the uh, the uh, student, uh, where does he originate from in terms of your activities? Well, he uh, has. Is he a part of the Saturday Colonel Young group or another group? Oh, he's part of another group. The uh, Colonel Young's group right now, we have uh, stopped for some reason. It's going to come back up until further notice. I'll let you know when. We'll open up the uh, place again, but right now, all the operation is over at the Kennedy Center on 135th Street, across from the uh, Harlem Hospital in that recreational center. What and day? There, what day of the week? Uh, we have actually have three days. We have Tuesdays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays in the afternoon. From Wednesdays is from three to five, and Tuesdays is from four to six. Now, we cover most of the students that come there want to learn their uh, review for an exam, midterm exams and finals, regents or citywide exams in math. I had one student that I was tutoring her in uh, geometry, and what I did, I brought in some books, but I got the older books going back to uh, 1947, which they have a good breakdown of the methods. The newer books they have today, they have taken the methods out and put in calculators. And I was explaining to the uh, Miss Sonia that calculators have, they're pretty good at helping a student, but students begin to use them as a crutch where you don't really get a chance to use your mind to figure out math without mm-hmm. a calculator because in many cases you run into a situation where the calculator is lost or run out of power and you say, I'm stuck at an exam, is there a way to get these problems done? Well, now comes the brain. By learning the abacus and learning the uh, four levels of math, addition, subtraction, division, and multiplication, you can take a math problem and go right straight through it without even um, losing uh, time, because time is, is of the essence when you're t- taking an examination. Yes. It was a time where calculators were not even allowed on an exam. Right. Now they are permitted to use calculators where they're even going to the point of graphing, using a graphing calculator to graph out a graph. And I said, well, 
That's nice, but how does it all work? So there the uh, pencil and paper is trying to be eliminated, which in turn, by doing that, you do more damage to the mind because now you're relying on a piece of electronic equipment that only can give you shortcuts. But in math, there is no shortcuts. You have to figure it out. You mentioned a selection, pardon me, the utilization of math books, and I took it to mean that the older the math book is, and what would the year, approximate year be for the break-off before the math books uh, have been dumbed down? Well, you're going back to from the 1940s all the way up to the 1960s, those books were more prevalent to teaching because there were more information there. There were tables in there that you had to uh, get accustomed to learning. There were, uh, for instance, log log tables were the most important part of a student's career in learning mathematics. Today, the average student doesn't even know what a log table looked like nor what a slide rule is. And when you don't take time to give them the history of how these instruments were developed to where it is today, then there's a gap, an educational gap left there. So in a sense that the uh, student would ask the teacher questions, well, where did it all start? How did it get to be this today? where it was years ago. Now, fortunately, MAP today is more designed around the computers, calculators, and all sorts of uh, methods to speed up time. But there, if you're an engineer, comparing to how the old engineers built and designed things, there was a, there was a, a method of math where you would learn the rudimentary, the, the basics, the roots. Today, the average student doubt does he even see what a square root problem is or a logged log log table problem or a book of log tables. And for some reason, math teachers today have there's a practice a crisis going on in the school. There aren't enough math teachers to go around because some of the math teachers that you have today are not math majors. It was a time right. when you had math majors. Right. And even in the college, you had your, your math majors, and these were uh, people that acquired a, uh, not only a Bachelor of Science degree, but a Master's degree and a Ph.D. degree, and they wrote their own math books. But Brother that Brother, generation... I'm sorry, Brother That Brother. generation is sort of like retired. So the newer teachers coming in today have to really uh, knuckle down or go back to school and learn more because they find out that the students are more inquisitive today and the new electronic uh, devices that are on the market from a uh, smart uh, blackboard to a calculator and a laptop computer, these things have actually um, become an aid, a teaching machine as they call them back in the 60s. And now the students are really at the point, well, do I learn the technology or do I become just nothing more than a uh, robot learning how to just take tests but not to think on an exam? Here's a question 
based on and it relates to this just here. Specifically engineer. In engineer courses and math courses that would allow you to operate somewhat in the area of engineering. And you're going to have to tell us in a minute what aspect it would help you on. But there's, well, a brother, conversation, no, no, wait, there's a conversation that we had some time ago that related to the crop of engineers who are coming out of school who, if they don't have a calculator or something of that sort, they're at wit's end as to solve some problems in real time on, let's say, a bridge constru- uh, uh, structure. So I'm going to get reformulate the uh, process the question, and you can reflect on some of the things you may have related to me, and they're going to get to your response after these announcements. This is the Keys 107 Network. I'm Brother Leroy, and on the line is Brother Bernard. We're talking about teaching math, utilizing the abacus, and we've gotten into other areas and other areas we're about to go into and you can always call in at 213-943-3618, 213-943-3618. Hit one on your telephone pad and let the engineer know that you have a question. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Hey, hey, you. Bring that microphone over here. I want to tell you something. Hey, hey, hey. I, I, my name is Bobby, and I've been living homeless on the streets of New York for years. And the only reason why I'm eating out of dumpsters and I'm living without my family because I lost my keys. Listen to Key 107 on Blog Talk Radio. Blog Talk Radio. Oh, Cax. Jump back and dust off your Cadillac. You're listening to Respect for Life with your host, Brother Leroy. On the Keys Network, Blog Talk Radio, baby. Act like you already knew. Ow! And we're black, ladies and gentlemen. Brother Leroy here on the Keys 107 Network. And our guest online is Brother Bernard. We're talking about math and a technique or tool for teaching math to young people and even to older folks and making it fun. And that's the abacus in here. Do we have a call on the line or Brother Bernard? Brother Bernard, are you still there? Oh, yes, my brother. Oh, Um. Yes, of course, line there. But um, yes, sir. You know, you know the question that I had, Brother Bernard, uh, related to a situation where you had told me some time ago that the education process that engineers. Are, but Leroy, you are live on Blog Talk Radio. Your mic is and, live. And I thought I was. Ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, boys and girls, this is the program coming to you out of 360 plus degrees of blackness. The Keys 107 Network is the communicators. 
And I'm Brother Leroy, thankful to the Most High for blessing you to be with us and us to be with you, bringing you a classroom, one which is filled with information that you can pass on to others, and, of course, you can ask questions. That is always the case. And that is always the case where we have a little engineering snafu. We clear it up right away. So how how some engineers have been handicapped, what have you seen in real time, real life, as to what some engineers, uh, their capacity for solving some math problems or blueprints uh, based on what your observations have been in the past? Well, I have found, Brother Leroy, is that a lot of the engineers today have been sort of like handicapped only just to use the instruments that are out there due to the fact that time is of the essence and of the money. But when the engineers are asked to design a uh, bridge or a subway system or a railroad, and going back to the old days where they used a slide rule and log tables and blueprints and drawing, making drawings, and a lot of the drawings were done by sketch, then they worked out by doing it by hand, T-square and triangle. Today, the T-square and triangle is at the point of becoming obsolete because of the CAD system. Now, the CAD system, I have nothing against the CAD system, but the fact is that it's, you can speed up the drawings and figure out the uh, angles and figure the areas very fast, but you really don't get a chance to really say, wait a minute, I want to make changes. I want to add something to this. So there, the pencil and paper is brought back into the picture, and you work these things out. And in the engineering schools, they have made a major change of teaching engineers this to work with the equipment, but not teaching the rote method of engineering. When I went to City College, which you call the poor man's MIT of engineering up there, it was a method of learning. You had to learn drafting. You had to have a good basic knowledge of math. That means you have to have a trigonometry, geometry, algebra, and pre-calculus. From there on, you were able to take your added your elective subjects like chemistry, physics. Physics is the most important subject to an engineering because mm. there you see all these formulas coming at you and you were able to pick them and use them to solve the problems that engineers are faced with. And when it comes down to doing an estimate, you have to say, well, okay, how much math do I know? How much do I can rely on what I've learned in the classroom versus doing the exercises or the homework? But now, as we come into the 20th century or 21st century, the entire um, premise now is go geared to the the computer. Years ago, engineers hated to take programming. Fortran 4 is a basic program that was put out by IBM. Then the computer went to the point of punching up cards, writing out the formulas, translating the formula into the machine language. Now, all of a sudden, you can talk to the machine, and the machine will give you the answers. But now you ask yourself a question, well, that's nice, but I still don't know. You know where do I employ my input into solving the problems once they're there to be solved? So there, there isn't very much room for thinking when you're working with high-speed computers, for instance, a supercomputer. 
So there, you say to yourself, well, what happened when the machine breaks down? Right. Now, a good example is what happened when they NASA put up the uh, moon project, and they were going to the moon, Apollo 13, I think it was. One of the um, shuttle or the um, oxygen exploded outside of the uh, capsule. So NASA had to go back, get their engineering team together, and figure out how do you bring these guys back. So it goes right back to the old slide rule, calculus, trigonometry, geometry, figure out how much fuel, how much oxygen, and all that was done on pencil and paper. Of course, they had computers in the, in the, in the building to solve these problems, but the question is, here's a life-and-death situation. So the men that were in that capsule were able to also figure out how to come back, how to go around the moon without crashing into the moon, and how to come back to the Earth without crashing into the Earth and uh, being destroyed. So all that was done through math. So not only the astronauts had to figure out how to come back, the ground crew had to figure this out. And it was all done through pencil and paper that you would do in, in the typical classroom. But now these are professional engineers. These are licensed engineers. Today, that type of um, challenge is not prevalent anymore because they can always go to a computer and put the information in and get the drawings, the diagrams, name it, it comes out. But the public is really don't know really what's going on because there's so millions of dollars being spent to build these things, and you say, what progress have we made? Are we turning out the best engineers? Are we turning out the best mathematicians? Now it's going to the point that the Chinese foreign countries now are coming here to America, learning the sciences, taking it home, and using it to build up their um, system over there. I mean, a good example is in uh, China, they built a dam on the Yellow River. They call the Four Fork River Dam. It's the largest hydroelectric power plant dam in the, in the, in the world. The entire Chinese government spent billions of dollars, as well as their own engineers. They didn't need any American engineers to work on this. They did this themselves. And to the point that they were able to build a power system without a nuclear power system. This is strictly hydroelectric to put electricity in nearly three-fourths of China, even giving power even into Hong Kong. So in the sense that that same uh, power can be done here in America. So we take these young babies, four and five years old, teaching them basic math, teaching them the additional math that they need, and show them the history of black, black engineers, George Washington Carver, and many other brothers and sisters. I mean, a good example is a brother that invented the traffic signal. Every time you look at a traffic light, you're looking at a black man's invention. Hmm. And if you go through that traffic light, you're going to get a ticket. But the idea of um, having that particular instrument designed, as well as the gas mask and many other inventions from the pencil sharpener. And when you begin to look at these things and expose our children to science, 
then there's be no need for them to drop out of school or uh, go to drugs or crime or hate one another. Hmm. Math can solve that. Hmm. And when you begin to bring a little love in there, the teacher has to have love. Teachers I grew up with, they went out their way to help that student. If that student needed help in uh, math, they would spend time at the school. On their time, as long as you show up and have a good positive attitude, they can teach you. That happened with me and many other brothers and sisters. But to this day and age, uh, you just don't have the teachers anymore that have that love anymore because everybody is worrying about a dollar bill. But it comes a time when you have to say, well, okay, I have the dollar bill, but now i got to show some love to my people. So a teacher needs uh, to say, well, okay, I'm going to help that student in music or help that student in English or help that student in his uh, vocabulary, along with the, the parents. So in the sense that um, community schools are very important, math is important, the more of our young people get exposed to math every day. I was telling the young uh, brother the other day, I said, if you want to learn the multiplication tables, just think of the number system, 5, 10, 15, 20, 25, 30, 35, 40. Make it a game. We did it when I was young. And young people today, they have no exposure to art because there's math and art. There's math and music. But when those things are being shut off and a child says, what do I do with the rest of my time? Well, I want to go out and play. I want to uh, uh, exercise in the uh, playground. But there you have to bring the math out there and say, well, look, this is how you uh, work with math. For example, you take a child to their beach, and children like to build sandcastles. Well, that same sand, you flatten it out. You can write it, write on that sand. So in the sense that um, young people have to be exposed to these things. Right now in the city of New York, there's a museum dedicated to mathematics in downtown. I mentioned to a couple of students at the uh, math um, program at the uh, Kennedy Center as well as the uh, American Legion about this math museum. And it's for young people up to junior high school or middle school. And they have programs, they have games, they show um, different levels of how you can use math. I tend to use the Abacus because that's the main uh, program. Where is this math museum? Uh, Somewhere in mid-Manhattan. You can also Google that in on the computer. It's called the MoMA Math Museum, or Museum of Mathematics on the computer. And it will even tell you the uh, website and the location and the time when it's open. I think they're open on Sundays and Saturdays also to have a program. Museum of Mathematics. Right. Now, uh, as we wind up, what what difference has the abacus made? I know you gave an example of a young, young person who has a father and mother helping him. What are some other examples that might exist on the abacus being a turnaround point for young people or even older people once you begin to show them how to use this bad boy? Well, number one, you be, they begin to have a more positive self-esteem when using that instrument. 
And then when you're beginning to get into the history of how the instrument was put together and how it's functioned, the various other forms of the abacus, there is a uh, Slavic uh, European abacus that was uh, invented by the Russians in part of Russia, which they still use today. That's in the book that you can go online, type in abacus, and there's an entire website giving you the history of the uh, Russian abacus as well as the Chinese abacus and the Japanese abacus. But in a sense, it opens up the mind of a person, and you say, wow, I didn't know I can do this. But you have to just get accustomed to understanding the beads, the values that you're going to see on these beads as well as the numbers you see on the uh, paper. And a good example is um, there was a time when numbers were written in Arabic, but the zero was never was never came but came later. Now the brothers in India came up with the zero, and there you have another form of math called the Vedic math system. In my job, I retired from. We had a bunch of engineers from India. So one of them told me, well, in order to understand the Vedic system, you would have to understand uh, Hindu or uh, another form, Uju, uh, language in um, India. But they, in turn, learned that also coming out of e- coming out of Egypt, as well as the Greeks came out of Egypt in order to, to put forth their math system, as you see today. Mm. And a lot of people don't even realize that the word algebra they think it's an English word, but no, it's an Arabic word. And it was a man that invented algebra. He was a Muslim. And he was a Moor. And when I checked out the, the name, it's an Arabic name, I can't even pronounce the darn name, and I went on the history of mathematics, and that's amazing how your basic equations that you have in math today, from the Pythagorean Theorem, which in turn, Pythagoras did not invent that 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 uh, theorem. It was right. concept. It was a concept in Egypt. Right. And as you begin to go into the history of India, they in turn uh, concocted and put together the theorems. And uh, I imagine you heard about the uh, wonderful display that's at the Schomburg called Blacks in India. Yes. And. I hope that my brothers and sisters get up there and get a hold and look at what they're going to see up there because you'll never see that again. But the sister from India gave a lecture. I think she gave uh, the second lecture. And it's open to the public at the Schomburg. And it goes you to the history that a lot of our brothers and sisters came into India as slaves and moved up into the higher government of India today. And a lot of them came mostly came out of Ethiopia. And when you begin to see how the uh, brothers built up India, your temples, uh, the Taj Mahal, it was designed by a black uh, right. Indian architect. Uh, a couple of mosques in, in India were built. The layout of uh, certain areas in, in, in India and fact, when you begin to see this, you say, wow, I didn't even knew that uh, brothers and sisters uh, from Africa into India. And then you go further on the internet about the black Chinese and the black Japanese. So I, want there, you to hold it, 
I want you to hold it right there, Brother Bernard. Yes, sir. And give people how uh, they may email you for further contact. You uh, sit with groups and you demonstrate the abacus, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So give them how they can make contact with you. Okay. Uh, my name is uh, Brother Bernard. My website or my email address is bernard24 at covat. Now, that's C-O-V-A-D dot net. That's my repeat email that. address. I'll repeat, repeat it that. again. It's bernard24 at covat, that's C-O-V-A-D dot net. We have right. the uh, classes at the um, Kennedy Center, 135th Street. By the way, those those classes at the Kennedy Center, you don't have to pay. It's free. We're up there Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday in the afternoon. Most likely it's open to uh, elementary school students as well as high school students. I know a lot of students out there now that are cramming now for the uh, finals that are coming up need help. I'm always up there. There's a afternoon, sister up there. Afternoon, that afternoon is what time, dear brother? From uh, 3.30 to 5.30, that's on Wednesdays. And on Tuesdays and Thursdays, from 4 to 6. Okay. 3.30 is the magic time. They can anchor that and get you all three days. At the Kennedy Center, that's right off 135th Street, between Malcolm X Boulevard and Fifth Avenue. Right. It's approximately in the middle of the block. There's right. a supermarket there on 135th Street, on the south side of 135th Street. Right. The supermarket, you stop and you make a turn into this little area, and you're looking right at Kennedy Center. No excuse, no charge, and you have the opportunity of learning math at your pace but learning math under people who love black folks and who believe that black folks can learn and master the various subject matters. So, my brother Bernard, I want to thank you for your contribution tonight to the Keys 107 Network, to this great classroom that we've had. Um, brother Leroy, yep. there's yes, a um, brother, um, uh, Red Deer, he's a Native American brother. He's going to have a, uh, an event coming up on May the 10th as well as May the 11th. Now, May 11th will be at Sylvia's Restaurant from time from 6 to 10, and it's going to be May the 11th, that's 2013, Sylvia's. There'll be a um, book, line, book signing ceremony there, as well as a Native American culture. See, a lot of people don't realize there are black uh, Native Americans, too. Exactly. There's uh, another um, event given by the same brother at the Uptown Sisters Bookstore. That's on May the 10th, from 6 to 8. Okay, very good. We're at the end, and once again, we want to thank you, my dear brother, for joining us and sharing with us your experience in math and giving a value to the abacus. And I think that, um, based on my little reading, that that abacus has the, the magic term loosely of hands-on. They can actually put their hands on, as opposed to pressing a button, they can put their right. hands on beads and they can make things happen. 
and that's a greater connection with the brain and the learning process is called experiential learning. The next step from that is actually uh, coming up with measurements for a little house or a little canal in a dirt uh, environment and making that happen. Hands-on learning is very key. We can't expect it to happen in Bloomberg and this education system. We're going to have to make it happen ourselves. Definitely. At the mosque, the church, the masjid, the, uh, um, the veteran centers, uh, lodges, etc. We're going to have to do it ourselves, ladies and gentlemen. Do not, we cannot afford to have our children suffer menticide under the hands of individuals who did not love us in the first place. Those who did not treat us right are not going to teach us right. So my brother and the audience, God bless you all. Thanks to the Keys 107 Network. Brother James, Brother uh, Jason, Brother Forrest, Sister Rafika, and Brother Sadat for helping us bring information to you all. Please pass this information on that you received this evening. God bless you all. Peace. Peace and love. Okay. Jump back and dust off your Cadillac. You're listening to Respectful Life with your host, Brother Leroy, on the Keys Network. Blog Talk Radio, baby. Act like you already knew. Ow.